Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In the Phaedo, early on in the discussion, remember the Phaedo is, is about Socrates' very last days, his conversation with his friends before he's going to be executed by his own hand drinking poison. He tells his friends that a philosopher is not going to be afraid of death or see death as a bad thing, in part because philosophy is actually a preparation for death. The philosopher, at one point he says, practices death, gets ready for death. And they joke around a little bit, and one of his interlocutors says, it's either Simeus or Kebe says, well, yeah, you know, the ordinary people say you philosophers are half dead anyway. You're insensible to the things that everybody else cares about. You're not really like living people. And Socrates will say, they don't even know how right they are. We are actually, if we're doing philosophy right, half dead. Now, what would that mean? How does this make sense? How can this actually be a good thing? Isn't death a bad thing? So Socrates starts out by saying, okay, what is death? It's really a liberation of the soul from the body. And you notice they have here in parentheses that the soul is still living. The soul is actually in the Phaedo and for Socrates, the principle of life. In some ways, the soul is more alive than the body is. And if you take the soul away from the body, the body falls apart and decomposes. The soul goes on. So death doesn't mean the total cessation of everything, unless there is no soul and it's just the body. He's going to consider that in other arguments. But for Socrates, what we really are is the soul. The body is just a shell that we are stuck with and which makes all sorts of demands upon us, and which we are deceived into thinking is us. So for example, I think that I'm six foot three, that I have long hair tied into a ponytail, that I'm, you know, I've got a body that's 44 years old, hands that are pale, fingers that are long, I have a certain build, all these sorts of things. I associate with myself, and I think of that as me. Strictly speaking, you know, if you adopt the perspective that Plato has, our souls aren't even really gendered. They don't have an age, I suppose, not in the sense that, you know, I can say that I'm middle-aged or anything like that. If anything, they're very, very old. And we're trying to liberate that, that thing that's really us, from this, this shell that it occupies in this lifetime. So if that's really the case, then the philosopher is actually looking forward, as he says, to death. But what does it mean to look forward to death? It doesn't mean a sort of morbid, boy, I can't wait until I die because it's going to be so cool when there's nobody here. This is a little bit off topic, but it's, it's a good classical reference. There's this scene in Tom Sawyer, and many of us have read Tom Sawyer and sort of required reading in, in middle school or high school. There's this scene where Tom Sawyer shows up in the town for his own funeral, because they don't know that he's not dead, and he gets to hear everybody, you know, lamenting over him. And this is actually a fantasy that a lot of people have. You know, what's it going to be like when I'm, when I'm dead and gone? Plato's not talking about that at all. 
That would still be a this-worldly kind of thing. Instead, he's talking about the philosopher looking forward to this liberation, which is preparing them to launch into eternity, to be with the things that are actually the most real, to not be bothered with the things that are actually false, changing, deceiving, mutable, many, unreliable, the things that are of this material world, including our own bodies. So the philosopher is going through the work of trying to prepare for this. And how, how do you do this? Well, they're not going to concern themselves with bodily desires and pleasures. As a matter of fact, Socrates has this, this great you know, set of questions doing his typical Socratic method. And he says, people who are concerned with this sort of thing, what are they going to be doing? Are they going to be concerning themselves with the pleasures of the body? Are they going to concern themselves with food and drink and thirst and hunger? Are they going to concern themselves with the pleasures or the desires of the sexual appetite? The aphrodisia in Greek, named after Aphrodite. They say no, the philosopher is not going to be concerned with things of the body. And in our own time, we might say, we want to be very specific about this sort of thing. Is the philosopher going to be somebody who cares about how many friends they have on Facebook or how many Twitter followers they have or what the comments from the many are on the videos that they upload? Are they going to care about whether their clothes are current in fashion or out of fashion? Are they going to care very much about the kind of food that they're putting on the table or, or not? Are they going to be content with ordinary fare? Are they going to be particularly concerned if they are having sexual relations with the person and how they look or, you know, whether they're in great shape, have a wonderful body, or, or are they going to be more concerned about the connection of minds that's taking place, the connection of, of, of souls? Uh, this is not something that he's talking about here. That's in the Symposium or the Phaedrus or other uh, dialogues. But it, we could extrapolate from this. The philosopher is going to abstract from the things of the body, the desires, the pleasures that are solely bodily, that are only concerned with things that you can locate in space and time. Instead, what are they going to do? They're going to focus on attaining knowledge. Now, here's where we need to say something about the Platonic conception of, of knowledge. You might say, well, the soul is going to carry around this knowledge. You know, we've got this, this sort of imagination of I've got a head and it's you know, full of knowledge. We create metaphors, visual metaphors with this sort of thing. But really knowledge for Plato is not something that's within the soul and which the soul carries around with it. It's more a relation of the soul to what is ultimately known, the forms, the unchanging, eternal, immutable entities that are what it is that the things that we know participate in. And that's not going to be gained by just going off to school and, and reading books or something like that. It involves a process of contemplation. I should also say here, dialectic, because that's the other tool that Socrates talks about over and over again, and that Plato saw as, as essential. It's really poorly written there, but you can read it anyway. So the philosopher is going to concentrate not on spending their time pursuing the things of the body, but rather on pursuing knowledge, contemplation. And they're also going to have to practice the virtues. And he talks about 
four virtues in this, the, the cardinal virtues of justice. He doesn't talk that much about justice, but he does talk about courage and temperance. And then he talks about wisdom, phronesis, in other dialogues, sophia in Greek. And wisdom is the currency that all these other virtues can be measured by. And he says that wisdom is a kind of purification, and these virtues are also types of purification, and wisdom is what governs them. So having temperance means having a certain kind of freedom from being driven by your appetites, your appetites for food, your appetite for sex, your appetite for laying around, your appetite for having comfortable clothes or things like that. You stop paying attention to those sorts of things because those just tie you to the body. Those just tie you to this, this world that we're currently in. Instead, you prepare for your liberation of the soul from the body by trying in this life to be as unconcerned with things of the body as possible and instead use the time that you have to focus on contemplation, to focus on developing the virtues. The virtues, by the way, are some of the things that we contemplate, the forms. There is a form of justice out there that Plato thinks that if we're really um, doing philosophy, we connect ourselves up with that. We get to see these forms. So if you have this sort of point of view, philosophy then becomes a preparation for dying. Not a preparation for dying as in, you know, like writing your will and saying my books are going to go to so-and-so and I need to leave enough money behind for my wife and kids or what's going to happen with my dogs. It's not that sort of thing. That would be this worldly. Instead, it's a concern with what is most us, according to Plato, our immortal souls and what's going to happen to them. Plato also thinks that if you do this, if you carry out this process of ascesis or disciplining, you will free yourself from the fate of most of the other souls, which is to be trapped in this material world. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.